0: Welcome back to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980. CKNW, Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. I'm Maureen McGrath. I happen to deliver the sex talk here in Vancouver. If you have just joined me, welcome. If you have stayed over with me from the previous hour, I'm so glad you did. We're talking sex tonight, and uh, I do have a prize giveaway tonight. Uh, It's a lovely Lalo bridal kit. You know, maybe you're renewing your vows. Maybe you've decided to have makeup sex. Maybe you've decided to make things better in your life, or you're going to be walking down the aisle soon, or somebody you know is, or you're having a wedding shower for your best friend. Well, you might want to call and win this lovely little pure couples vibe. And uh, it's actually a whole kit. It's a whole bridal kit that can remind you of the importance of sex in your relationship. I probably talk a little bit too much about sex. And I will be talking a little bit more about relationships uh, because that's important too. And communication is key. And communication is actually and the most important thing to having great sex because how you speak to each other is vital. After you've been in a, when you first meet somebody, there's a hormone in the brain called PEA that after about two years or even 18 months, it begins to diminish along with the sexual frequency. That's why communication is so key to a great sex life. So you may not realize that. That hormone PEA is scourging through your blood vessels and it accounts for the elation and the excitement that you feel when you first meet somebody. And it also has been so powerful that it's been known to treat depression. And sometimes I wonder if patients that I see in my clinical practice, they'll often say, you know, when I was going out with this person, whether it be a man or a woman or anything, anyone in between, any uh, transgender, whomever, they will say, Um, you know, they were fine. They were happy and excited and grateful for the relationship. And and then uh, after about two years, they started to get irritable and mean and started abusing me. And I wonder sometimes if it is related to this hormone called PEA, something to ponder Anyway, but you can give me a call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell if you want to win this little Lalo Bridal Pleasure Kit. You want that pleasure to continue throughout all those years of marriage because we're living forever these days. And so you might as well make it pleasurable. But at the very beginning of a relationship, uh, there are some sex talks that you and your partner have to discuss or that I'm going to advise. I never tell anyone they have to do anything or should do anything, but these are some things that you maybe ought to be talking about, especially if your relationship is heading to the next level. Maybe things have been a little bit underwhelming between the sheets. Maybe not so much is going on underneath the covers when you and your partner become intimate. Ultimately, great sex is the goal, and I certainly understand that. But before you hit those lights, there are a couple of topics you should cover together. That's especially if you want to minimize the chances of an awkward moment in bed, especially if you're just getting into this relationship. So I believe it's important to know and understand each other's desires, preferences, and sexual past that's also very important so the experiences one may have had they may have had a negative experience or extremely positive experience desire discrepancy is so uh, common in relationships it's rare that you meet two people who have the exact same amount of sexual desire so it's it's inherent in a relationship almost so I think it's important that people talk about fantasies, fetishes and desires and not necessarily in that order. And so before you laugh at this, listen up. I think when you're in bed, it might be too surprising to spring your, you know, you might have a furry fetish on your partner at that moment. Um, I mean, there are some basic things or some basic things like oils and lotions and, and potions. Those are pretty standard. But They don't really require discussion. Nobody's going to be that surprised if you bring out that exotic oil or whatever. But if you are a secret bondage queen or dominatrix, you might want to give your partner a bit of a heads up on that one. Because people bring different ideas, different thoughts, different education, different experience to the bedroom. It's actually... uh, not uncommon. Like some, I'm giving out sex toys tonight, and I I often give out um, sex toys, or as I call them, health aids. Uh, But some men and women may feel embarrassed when the topic of pleasure toys comes up. and But they can actually be really important, especially in a sex life that has gone stale. Long-term relationships can go stale. And you know anything after two or three weeks these days is a long-term relationship I'm kidding of course it's (laughs) that's Hollywood and this is not Hollywood this is real nothing fake about it Um, but it can get stale you know even after a couple of years the other thing is never assume something about your uh, partner your lover's sexual interests they may be a little bit too embarrassed to say and when we talk about sex we think about sex we think of penile and vaginal intercourse, anal and oral sex counts as well. So, a lot of people aren't game for all of that. You have to know if your partner is game for that. So, you want to discuss what's on the table when it comes to sex to help clarify the boundings, uh, the boundaries, and the boundings <laughs> all bound up. Anyway. Um, Getting tied up. Is that something that you're interested in? It's the number one sexual fantasy for women. A threesome is the number one sexual fantasy for men. Uh, So you need to talk about that. And, you know, 70% of women miss dirty sex with their partners. And you may not know that women may have this feeling that because they're now a mother, they can't be as sexual or, or a man actually may feel that because she's a mother that's incongruous with being sexual. And so, you know, a lot of people lose that marital eroticism that they once had. Uh, so, you know, Don't let that get in your way. Let some other things get in the way. When I come back, we're going to talk about your sexual history and future plans for a great sex life. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980. CKNW Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. I am Maureen McGrath delivering vancouver's sex talk we're talking about sexual history and some uncomfortable conversations may come up like your sexually transmitted infection history and that's very important that you share that always and that you have a sexual health history and um, some lab work and some sexual health testing prior to getting into a new relationship and and uh, it's good to ask for that as well so the sexual health history is important But it sometimes includes more than test results and exposure to sexually transmitted infections. Unfortunately, a large percentage of men and women have experienced different forms of sexual trauma and abuse. And this can definitely impact a person's sexuality, ability to express themselves sexually, and even to have a sexual relationship. I've seen many patients in my clinical practice who have never consummated their relationship for years for five years, seven years, nine years, and and quite frankly, the one partner didn't know why. And after some uh, assessment, a sexual health assessment, and uh, speaking together, the partner only learning that their particular partner, husband or wife, had had sexual abuse as a child, often as a six-year-old child, or three-year-old child, a seven-year-old child. This remains with a person for the rest of their lives. In order to have healthy sexual expression in the bedroom, it's a good idea that partners are honest about what has happened to them, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's really ugly. And this is something that we really need to end. You you might wonder how to approach such a touchy subject. It's best for partners to initiate the conversation one-on-one outside of the bedroom, in private, in a safe space with somebody that you trust, that you know you care about and that you trust cares about you. And you can begin by telling your partner that you have something serious to discuss with them and that you feel uncomfortable at the conversation but want to be honest. And acknowledging that discomfort is always helpful in any serious conversation. You want to try and push past that awkwardness. People who have been sexually abused tell me that they have just feel this a horrific shame, this embarrassment, this malignancy that they're different from everybody else, that they are the only ones that have experienced this. That is not the case. This is so common that I don't even mention it in a, in a room full of women anymore, because I know about a third of them will have experienced sexual abuse. Uh, this conversation has the potential to bring you closer to that, to that Person that you're wanting to be intimate with. If you feel uncomfortable having sexual conversations or revealing your sexual past, then maybe you should consider whether you should be having sex with that person at all. Maybe they're not the right person, but I can tell you it's human nature, it's the human condition to want to help and to be kind and to be understanding. And most of us are empathic. There's only a few evil people out there. And so you, you can trust yourself and know that this person wants the best for you and although it's a very difficult conversation it is definitely one that you want to have because that will absolutely impact your relationship and it may actually lead your relationship to to an early death because your partner doesn't understand why you may not want to be sexual. Your partner may not understand, uh, the problems that you're having. Uh, you may go inward. A lot of people who have been sexually abused go inward. Uh, they go inside of themselves. That's the place that they're the most comfortable. It's very traumatic. If you know of a child who's been sexually abused, you need to validate that sexual abuse for them. That's the only way that there's any chance of healing. Otherwise, sexual abuse leads to a lifetime of anxiety and, and, and horror, especially as they um, in terms of their intimate lives. Uh, there, this leads me into the next subject, which is that dying marriage. There are four stages of a dying marriage. There's that disillusionment. That's really the first stage. You become aware, oh, I may be unhappy in this relationship. You might say to yourself, I'll just sit with it and see if it's serious or just a phase. So you do nothing about it. Then it leads to erosion and you conclude, this is serious. This could lead to divorce. Oh, wait, I'm not going to divorce. And then you can just throw in any one of a number of reasons, finances, the kids, where am I going to go? What's my life going to be like? You just, it's kind of a denial stage and you think you'll just accept it and keep going. Your partner may begin to notice signs of your unhappiness and and may start with snide or sarcastic comments, or that's when the passive aggressive behaviors begin. It can start to become very unhappy, yet nobody's really noticing the elephant in the living room. You may start to think about having an affair with somebody else, or you might be attracted to somebody else, or may start to look for somebody else, or may start to really fantasize excessively about somebody else. You may reach out to somebody else on social media because it's so easy to do that today. And you may deny that you're living this way in your marriage or that this is not okay. Then comes detachment, and your discontentment begins to get worse. And you're thinking, I'll find a way to survive. And I'll make myself happy by engaging in something else. Maybe I'll just get so obsessed with work. I'll, you know, start doing sports excessively, or I'll go to the gym. I'll do anything that will take me away from this person. And that's really the time that you are at risk for having an extramarital affair. That time that says, I'm not happy here. I don't deserve this. I deserve better. I deserve somebody to love me. I deserve pleasure. And you may think about going back to work. If you've been a stay-at-home mom, you may go to school or, or travel or just decide to do a lot of solo activities. And you may actually have no desire, no sexual desire whatsoever. This is when the discontentment You realize that it's actually getting worse when others notice, hey, are things okay with you too? Or you may have done something that you got caught at. You may have reached out to somebody on social media, or you may have asked somebody out for a drink, somebody other than your husband or your wife. You may have organized to meet somebody or, you know, to have drinks with somebody. You may be repeatedly texting somebody else outside of the marriage. You may be repeatedly emailing somebody, begging them to go out with you because you just need some happiness. And you may begin to exhibit your happiness around other people. You may say negative things about your partner. Then comes that point of no return. It's also known as the straw, you know, that straw that breaks the camel's back. I had a friend who uh, was married and uh, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I don't recommend this whatsoever. She and her husband were not getting along well at all. And he went away on a business trip, and he came back, and she said, I I wished that the plane had gone down. That was how miserable she was, and, and he left immediately. He thought, anybody who feels that way about me, I cannot be in the same room. I mean, that's a really horrific way, but it's also the moment of clarity that one day arrives. You don't know when or how or whether it will be over something big or small, but it happens and it will happen. That's that's when your partner says or does one last thing that causes all the fog to lift and a personal declaration of, you know what? I won't be married to somebody who abuses me, who's mean to me, who neglects me, who financially controls me, who will not get therapy, will not get help. In that moment, the decision to let that marriage die is made and your brutal truth is revealed to the, to your spouse or at the very least, to yourself. And many couples decide to divorce at this point, or they may become emotionally divorced. So those are the four stages. Watch out for them in your marriage. Be mindful. Be mindful and look at them. I'm Maureen McGrath. When I come back, we're going to be talking about mindful masturbation. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW, Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk, Vancouver's Sex Talk. I'm Maureen McGrath. I am hosting this show. I'm a registered nurse, clinician, blogger at Fifty Shades of Pink. I also post those at Huffington post as well. I'm the author of Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other. <laughs> uh, it's true, you know, It's uh, sex is definitely related to health, but we forget to educate people about that. We just shroud it in shame and nobody talks about it. People laugh about it. People are uncomfortable about it and people have problems with it. And I, that is evidenced by my clinical practice, the number of times I speak a year, which is about fifty to sixty different times a year, I just finished speaking to about five different groups of physicians. A lot of conservative physicians, anyway. I changed their minds, uh, but you know what? It's uh, I know it was helpful for them. A lot of them were grateful for my frank open discussion around sexuality and sex. And many of them confess to me that they don't ask their patients about it because they don't have the answers. So I tried to give them some answers. And I did try to give some answers in my book, Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other. It is anonymous tales of sex addiction, excessive pornography, infidelity, and The Perils of Online Dating, to name a few. Also, uh, of course, there's stories about low sexual desire. And uh, so they're real-life stories, and they're not about one person, but they are amalgamated because these are the most common things that I see in my clinical practice. And, and so many people were embarrassed or ashamed about it. Um, but I happen to choose the ones who presented in, uh, in, a, in a fabulous way, in just a memorable and beautiful way. That uh, um, And, you know, a lot of the times when people lose their nervousness or the anxiety around it, you know, they get down to it and they're, no pun intended, (laughs) getting down to it. Um, I digress. Uh, But, you know, they can see the humor in it and they can see the, you know that they're just going to have a better life. And one of the things that I see quite often in my clinical practice is women present because they have never experienced an orgasm for their entire lives, their entire sex lives. And they think it's time they did. Often what brings them in, surprisingly enough is a new man in their life who is bound and determined to get them to orgasm. Well, that's not going to happen. I'm like, well, do you want to have an orgasm? Then, okay, you got a good chance. Uh, so often these women may have high anxiety, they, so they may not actually be able to kind of rest, be chill, spend time with themselves, a little afternoon delight. So I may recommend mindfulness masturbation, and that's really taking time to yourself to be with yourself. If you can't touch yourself, who can you touch? So space and nudity are important, and they're probably the two most important things in a relationship with yourself. So you want to find a secure, safe and private space. You want to make it peaceful, a quiet place in your home. Make sure nobody else is there, perhaps. Um, Pick a time of the day that you can't be interrupted by kids or partners or spouses or phones. Turn off all of your electronic devices, every single one of them. Take off all of your clothing and get in a cozy position. And just be mindful and recognize how your body feels and the sensations of your body without clothes. A lot of people are not comfortable being naked. So a lot of people don't like to get to get naked, but it's important to get naked to have sex. And believe me, I've had patients who did not get naked and were trying to have sex. And I was actually trying to figure out like, well, what are you doing? I was asking um, the couple, and I was because it didn't make sense and uh, how they were having sex. And then finally, one of them said, Well, um, she doesn't take her clothes off. So there you go. Anyway, I have Sarah on the line. Hello, Sarah.
1: Hello, Maureen. How are you?
0: Fine, thank you. How are you?
1: Doing well. I'm actually uh, calling on behalf of a friend of mine. She's not doing so well, and I'm hoping I can comfort her a little bit. She got a a partner she's been with for about a month just disclosed that he has herpes. Okay. She is panicking. She feels like her life is over. So I guess there's sort of three questions. One, what's the likelihood that it would have been passed on to her? They didn't have sex when he had an outbreak. They did not. No, no. He just had the outbreak now, and that's when he told her, and that's why. And then number two, when would it come up? Like, if she went and got a test, how soon would it show up for her? And then three, what's the treatment like? Is she right that this ruins her life?
0: Well, uh, it has not ruined her life. There are many people. Uh, in fact, it's one of the most common sexually transmitted infections, genital herpes, and it affects about one in five adults. There are two types. There's type one, which is the sores that occur on the mouth or near the mouth, and then type two, and those are the sores on the genitals. Once infected, a person becomes a carrier for life, and there's actually no known cure. So it's, it's, uh, there are remissions and exacerbations of this. Um, both men and women can have one or more of these symptoms, um, which are highly infectious when they have these symptoms. So he may, he may now have broken out with small fluid-filled blisters in the genital area, for example, okay. after they had had sex. Um, and then those blisters burst and leave small sores that can be very painful. Well, when somebody is not having an outbreak, that's usually better chances that she won't um, get genital herpes. Uh, they, but another symptom that, uh, somebody may have is itching or tingling sensation in the genital or anal area. Um, and they may also have, feel a bit fluish, feel like backaches, headaches. They just feel kind of general malaise under the weather. So that may be a sign. Like if she's feeling okay, um, you know, it would be good. It would be a good idea for her obviously to check instead of having this unnecessary worry, she needs to go to her doctor and. Um, you know, if she, if she gets any uh, blisters or any tingling or itching or anything like that, or it doesn't feel well, because um, sometimes you get a tingling sensation in the genital or anal area before that herpes outbreak. And the first outbreak of herpes is usually the worst. Something I want to say, I don't want to forget to say is, even though somebody, this may or may not make her feel better, but it's something for everybody needs to know, that virus sheds after the outbreak is over for about 14 days. So that does increase the risk. They were not practicing safe sex. So I guess they weren't weren't using a I'm, condom.
1: I'm getting the sense.
0: So yeah, I'm not quite sure. But okay, okay. Um, so you can get it from kissing, having unprotected sex, as I said, or having oral sex. Uh, condoms don't give total protection, but they may help uh, because it's skin to skin contact, which is how you can get um, uh, how you can get genital herpes. So. Uh, the only way to know for sure is to get tested so at any one of the um, sexual health ops uh, options for sexual health will have uh, the ability to test as well and it involves an examination of the genital area if there's any sores if she doesn't have any sores you know when depending on how long it's been you know she may she may just be fine Um, the the sores have to be visible how long would
1: it take for like symptoms to show up in her or for the
0: whatever disease? Virus? Well, you know what <laughs> it it is variable. Quite honestly, I mean it can be, um, you know, from two or three weeks to even uh, a couple of months. So, okay, it just depends. Um,
1: get tested and then tested again. Definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah. She probably and if she notices any sores, okay. that's when she really should. Or or if she starts to feel unwell, that's another. Um, sign as well. So you want to protect yourself. Uh, you don't want to kiss anyone who has sores around the mouth. Uh, have oral sex when somebody has genital sores or mouth sores or have any genital or anal contact, even with a condom when your partner has genital sores. It might have been nice. I don't know if you were listening to the show earlier, but it may have been nice for him to have told her that prior to uh, getting into a relationship. For a lot of people, it's a deal breaker. And then again, there are herpes clubs out there. So... Um, you know, don't use your saliva to wet contact lenses if you have saliva on the mouth. There's things like that you have to be very careful of. So, um, and
1: what uh, and so let's say that worst case scenario, what would the treatment options be generally like?
0: Well, sometimes they are put on um, anti uh, uh, re- uh, medications that reduce the viral load. So that can be a daily medication. There are there are uh, creams and that kind of thing that can be put on as well. Um, for people when there's an outbreak, but one of the best treatments is to look after herself, um, take care of herself, uh, eat properly, not too much alcohol, not get run down um, before going on uh, medication like that, before going on the antiviral medications.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm hoping this will comfort her a little bit.
0: I'm hoping it will too, but just to get tested and not worry. Like oftentimes, the you know, we have something in our head and we're worried about it gets a lot bigger than it really is. Exactly.
1: Especially when there's emotions, everything tight.
0: Absolutely, exactly. exactly. Alrighty. all right all right then she should break up with him i'm kidding i know that's, <laughs> no
1: I think that's, that i'm like
0: joking and you know you yeah, can I actually have a relationship with somebody and you know i know many couples that one has it and the other doesn't and the other one hasn't gotten it so you know i um, think
1: it's just they were together almost two months and it didn't come up until now yeah so exactly that's a well, hurt
0: there. yeah I, well, there well, you go Thank you so much. All right, you're welcome. Take care. All right, we're going to go to break and then we're going to get back to that mindfulness masturbation. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW, Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. I'm Maureen McGrath, delivering Vancouver's Sex Talk. We were just talking about sexually transmitted infections, in particular herpes, and I did want to mention the medications, which uh, were not coming to my mind, but uh, acyclovir, uh, uh famiclavir, and also another one is Valtrex. Uh, uh, these are all pill forms and they are used to treat genital herpes symptoms, not if you've been exposed and you don't know if you have it um, or not. So just a little follow up there, but great question. And you know what, we can get all passionate and all excited about sex, but you do got to worry about sexually transmitted infections. But we were talking about masturbation, five steps to mindfulness masturbation, and oftentimes I suggest that suggest this to women who have never experienced an orgasm or having difficulty experiencing an orgasm. In addition to a healthy vagina, so a moist vagina, it's not a great word, but um, that you're lubricated and you're not experiencing vaginal dryness, uh, it's very important because that will also help with the female sexual response cycle and your ability to experience orgasm. So I said space and nudity, get naked, feel good being naked. And if you don't feel good being naked, do something to make yourself feel good feeling not feeling naked to feel naked. Anyway, so look after your body, eat well, exercise, just feel better about it. You don't have to be super thin to feel great about your body. You can just as long as you are healthy, that's all. So get naked, pick a time of day, a private spot, breathe easy and seduce yourself because you know what, you're going to be a little bit aroused by now. So you want to you know, breathing is really important. So begin with a long, hard inhale, and then exhale slowly, maybe do it to the count of five and do this at least five times, breathe in and out, it's going to help you relax all the way down to your stomach that breathing in and then breathing out, block out all of the sensations, except how your body moves in sync. So try and like free your mind of any thought of daily events or what you have to do, forget all that you want to really live in the moment, be cognizant of how your breath is fluid, make sure it comes from your chest deeper down than your chest from your in in and out of your lungs let that stress and tension out on your exhales and stay in the moment we'll be living in the moment you know that song i think that is by uh drugs drugs i can't remember the group but anyway feel free touching your body each aspect of air, feel all your body pot parts, trace and caress the erotic areas. Get to know your erotic areas. That cu- couple that I was telling you about before when she didn't take off her clothes, I was like, okay, well, that's an interesting way to have sex. But anyway, uh, he was saying that his ero- he had very, really erogenous nipples. So you may have erogenous nipples, but feel your nipples and feel your nipples become erect. Let your body get increasingly stimulated by that overload of self-caressing, which is good. So you wanna concentrate and center. Remember, remain in the moment. Try and relax, try and calm down. Let your arousal build pressure. Next, stop counting and continue to breathe in and out. Notice how you're, you're feeling. Move your hands over your torso, your pelvis, your inner thighs, rub your genitals, feeling everything tingle or arouse. And also just be mindful of how that feels for you. And, uh, you're... Body may start to move in a particular motion to create sensuality or sexual positioning. You may need a sex toy, and the one that I would recommend, of course, is the Womanizer. <laughs> As you all know, it's a clitoral suckling device, and uh, it's very therapeutic in helping women to experience orgasm. Um, so you want to move around and continue to caress and um, hump against your arms, hands, fingers touching, reaching, rubbing your genitalia, and then masturbate and make sex self-love. And so as your breathing forms a rhythm, that's going to be beneficial. It'll help to feel your chest and stomach and pelvis region move. Do not judge or let your mind wander to negative body image whatsoever. Do not get caught up in the flesh about your size or your weight. Accept who you are. Accept your imperfections. None of us are perfect. Be your best. Don't get distracted by your thoughts. Touch every piece of you separately. Really value yourself. Your sexual energy will grow as you manipulate your genitals. Keep rubbing until your whole body is sexually aroused and desires that gratification. If you continue on this and continue to rub and care, your mind and body slowly become one and intentionally, and that will help to lead you to have or to experience an orgasm so that's often the therapy that i have to go into i don't have enough time to go into just how much and and answer questions and that kind of thing but that the effects of mindful masturbation will help you to gain a mind-body connection with which centers your pleasure and that's really beneficial so you want to target your sexual energy release tension there's a couple of subjects i didn't get to tonight like if you are a woman in your 30s and you Um, are afraid that you're it's you haven't had any babies yet fear not if you have them naturally after the age of 35 according to a boston university school of medicine research study you're likely to live a whole lot longer which it almost it means almost or they believe that your reproductive life is is uh slower uh advancing slower so you may actually live longer so it's a good thing uh but the other thing we didn't get to was transgender sex tonight. There's a big questions from everybody about that. Like, how do people who are transgendered have sex? Well, you know what? They've always felt the other in the relationship and uh, through hormones and surgery and counseling. I mean, you know what? They have sex as naturally as anybody else does. It's what feels good. It's the touching. It's the caressing. It's the intimacy. Anyway, we're going to go to break. And when I come back, we're going to wrap this baby up. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show. I'm Maureen McGrath. Thanks for being here with me tonight. There was one subject I wanted to talk about, how narcissists get away with it. Whether you're in a you're working with a narcissist or in a relationship with one, anyone who's ever been in either one of those situations with a malignant narcissist knows just how much discord one person can sow. You get confused. The environment seems to be more toxic by the minute. That's because These people with this disordered personality type thrive on drama and division. And they create this by spreading false rumors with a little bit of truth mixed in. There's always that small amount of truth. They recruit flying monkeys and they artfully manipulate them to carry out their agenda. And typically one target is chosen, generally a sunny personality, happy person. The idea is to drive this person out of his job or his or her job or mind. And then another target is selected. And that's what I was telling you about. I know somebody who does this to women, and I see he selected his next target, and she thinks everything's amazing right now. The narcissists are masters of deception. They like to project their own faults and shortcomings onto others. And when they pick a target, this is exactly what they do. So this defense mechanism serves two purposes. It shields them from the blame, and then it allows them to operate under the delusion that the victim deserves or has somehow earned this treatment. The uh, narcissists and sociopaths are a little bit different, but there's many many things that are common. They groom the victim to begin with so they lure them in they they give them compliments they're amazing to them they'll share intimate secrets with you this is key and I had a narcissist share intimate secrets with me one time she told me she was engaged to a guy and she told and I knew the guy fairly well and she told me that the guy abused her that he screamed at her that he was horrific that he had a temper and that she wasn't marrying him because of all this and I thought wow I hardly know you and you're telling me all this about him and, um, and, and so it was, it was her way to say, I'm really close to you and, you know, tell me something about yourself so I can use that against you. Well, of course I didn't. And, um, because I am aware of this type of person having experienced it with them. So, you know, just be aware of these. If it's too good to be true, it generally is. Uh, they manipulate everybody. The narcissist generally has a team of loyal supporters around them. It's it's awful. It's a horrific situation. You'll get sick if you remain with a narcissist. And I imagine this fellow that I know is who I haven't seen in, in a little while, but I imagine he's pretty sick because of the woman that he is. Um, not not didn't they didn't end up getting married. But, um, but I think there was a whole lot more to that uh, than, than she revealed. Anyway, I think it was more with her. So these narcissists can be men, they can be women. Nonetheless, we have wrapped up two hours of sex. I hope you've enjoyed it just as much as I have. Um, you know, like I get lots of questions about vaginal health, sexual health, sexual desire. I have a blog, 50 Shades of Pink. Go to the blog. You can always email me, Talk at cknw.com. Uh, you, I loved having you here with me tonight. Uh, soon, my my sex, my uh, my sex, my <laughs> my TEDx sexless marriage talk will come out this week. I do believe it is. So I'll let you know when that happens. Anyway, if you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. Have a very sexually healthy week. I am Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on CKNW News Talk nine eighty Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk.